before I had my little holiday, um, we were doing a, a series on how to have lasting peace. And I've been waiting, waiting to try and finish it or get a little bit more done. Um, yeah, just be careful of that, guys. Uh, but before I, before I get into that, you just need to uh, turn it down a little bit. I'll try and speak a bit louder so it doesn't do that. Otherwise, Lucien, it'll be the top end um, in the frequencies. Um, I, read, I read this the other day. I wanted to post it in our calendar, but didn't have space. Um, some of you may have seen this. It says, Iran's Minister of Intelligence has warned a gathering of Shia Muslim leaders that mass conversions to Christianity are taking place right across the country. According to Article 18, which is a non-profit organisation that advocates religious freedom in Iran, Mahmoud Alavi told the Shia clerics who had gathered in Qom that mass conversions are happening right before our eyes. He went on to admit that he had summoned converts to Christian uh, that he had summoned converts to Christianity for questioning in violation of article 23 of Iran's constitution which states that no one may be molested or taken to task simply for holding a certain belief some of the converts said they were looking for a religion that gives them peace in a country that says its religion is a religion of peace these converts are ordinary people whose jobs are selling sandwiches or similar things. Um, Article 18's advocacy director said this is a huge shift away from Iran's usual rhetoric that converts are agents of the West who have undergone significant training to undermine national security. Astonishingly, this comes as British Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt revealed Christian persecution is close to genocidal levels, with Christians in some parts of the Middle East facing the possibility of extinction. Well, not when there's a born-again rate that's happening like it is there. We should thank God for that. In a nation that was closed to the gospel for so many years, the underground church is having major effect. And I think that's very encouraging. Thank you, Jesus. You know, despite what the pressure and the torment that many Christians go, come under, they're still willing to share the gospel. Um, somewhere down the track soon, I want to address again our understanding of what the Great Commission is. Uh, because I read an article the other day that said that um, up to 80, it was something like 87% of Christians in the United States don't even know what it is. And what we find in the States tends to translate into Australia as well, that most Christians don't understand. They don't know what the Great Commission is. That's our mandate to go to every nation, including the ones that are hard to get into. Today, um, Peter and Christian, uh, Peter and Sigurd's daughter and her friend, they were here last week. They come every now and again. They come a lot to our Wednesday night meetings. But they're preaching in India, in the church in India. That's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. All right, let's, let me try and get into this and finish this. We've looked at a number of these verses. 
John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. I think there's something like 365 times in the Bible we're told not to fear. One for every day. As a, as a constant reminder, every day you shouldn't fear. 2 Thessalonians 3, Now may the Lord of peace, the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Philippians 4, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. (laughs) And that sounds totally contrary to Jesus saying, you will have peace. But in this world you'll have trouble. Was he saying, well, you just got to wait until you get to heaven before you have peace? No. He says, even in a world that is full of trouble, you can know peace. Peace isn't necessarily the absence of trouble. Paul was in, he, he, he endured trouble all the time. And yet he had an inner peace within him that, that gave him an incredible confidence. And Jesus says this, you'll have trouble in this world, but don't fear, because I've overcome the world. And if we're in Christ, we have the capacity to walk free, remain in peace, and overcome. Amen? We are more than overcomers, Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter 8. Greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. Those verses, folk, are powerful And yet so often we can read them and not really take them to heart. Not really take a hold of them and say, this is is for me, I'm going to live in the reality of that. Peace is the supernatural ability to walk through trouble with a sense of calm and assurance that God is always with us and he will empower us to get through it. I'm sure most of us know the Hebrew word for peace. Shalom. But it means more than just peace. It means more than just our little English word peace. Because it means this, that the literal translation of it, the literal meaning of it is as things ought to be. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And that's how God created Adam, put him in a perfect world, made him perfect. Nothing missing, nothing broken. But we know sin came into the world and things started to get broken. Things started to break down. Things started to go awry and were missing. And one of those things was his relationship to God, that close fellowship. He lost that. Peace means just as things ought to be. Just as things ought to be. Jesus came to restore peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And we've, we, so we've looked at a number of things. One, we looked at, uh, go back, peace with God. For God's not angry with us. We've been reconciled to him. He loves us. He accepts us. We have peace with God because of Jesus' blood. He restores peace within us. 
that we can live at peace. When you receive Jesus, when you understand his love for us, when you understand his acceptance and approval of you, you have an inner peace. It gives you an inner sense of great security. No fear of death because you've got the promise of eternal life because you have the life giver. No fear of rejection because you've been accepted by the Father because of Jesus. When, when we understand that our identity is in Christ, there's no fear of people. And yet most of us still battle with that. Maybe not every day, but every now and again, we'll battle with the fear of people because we don't like rejection. We don't want to be rejected. Folk, when you understand that God accepts us and that God approves of us, he doesn't ever reject us. Jesus never rejected us. When you have that security, like there's no, that should deal with the thing of fearing people. When you know God accepts us, well, who cares? <laughs> Jesus came to empower us so that we could have peace in trials, no matter what we go through. Peace in sickness, peace in sorrow and trouble, peace in grief and death, peace in persecution, peace in hardship. Peace when everything else is shouting fear and anxiety. Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace to give us his peace. My peace has been challenged over the last little while. You know, when you're laying in an ambulance and you can hear the sirens screaming and you're listening to the paramedics talking to the doctors in the hospital and you get wheeled in straight to the theatre and there's a dozen people flapping and sticking needles and tubes in everywhere they can, you can lose your peace. <laughs> and yet through all of that, you know, and there were moments where I thought, gee, what is going on? But through all of that, there was just this sense, God, you're in control. It's the peace of God. And I've had moments since, every now and again, you suddenly get a bit of pain, you think, oh no, is this all going to happen again? The devil wants to come and rob us of our peace. But he is the Prince of Peace to shower and fill us with his peace when we just go back and we turn to him and we rely on him. Many times over the last few weeks I've had to just turn back to Jesus and say, no, you're in control, the Prince of Peace, and just rest in his peace. But there's this fourth area of, of peace and that we, we kind of just started to touch on it few weeks ago and it's peace with others four areas of peace with others peace with everybody peace within the church peace with believers and sometimes that's what the devil targets all the time to upset and bring division in the church peace with family how many of you know that that's not always an easy thing and peace with our friends so I want to look at a couple of these things the first one that thing peace with everybody Paul says this, and we read this the other day. Um, he says in Romans 12, live in harmony with one another if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now Paul was a smart guy. He understood that sometimes it's not always possible to live with peace with everyone. But he, makes, but he qualifies it. He says, as far as it depends on you, you can't control someone else's response or reaction, but you can 
but you can control your own. And so he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's a great ideal to be at peace with everyone, but it's not always possible. But as far as it depends on you, that's our responsibility. Peace within the church. Peace amongst Christians. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 4. He says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's that saying? There's no division. No division. You know, we've got divisions all over the world with different denominations that, that were established because of disagreement. And yet there's one God, one Lord, there's one faith. It's a sad thing when people distort what the gospel is. And many of the arguments end up coming because man has, has put his idea of the gospel into scripture, his interpretation, his preferences, and it causes division. But when you understand there's one faith, one Jesus, one Lord, one King, one God, one true baptism, you don't get baptised into the church. You know that. That's one of the things that split denominations get baptised into the name of a particular church. You get baptised into the body of Christ. Now, some people can say, well, that means we have, you know, the body of, the Christ, a body of Christ is the church. So you are getting baptised into the church. But you're getting back, what it's talking about is being baptised and included in Christ. In Christ, not a particular church. United as one. I love, sometimes I get frustrated, but most of the time I really love going to the pastor's prayer times that I have uh, every fortnight or so with guys from all different kinds of denominational backgrounds. And the thing that I love about it is that we gather because of our commonality on things, not on the things that we disagree with. And we've never had an argument in that group in the three-odd years that I've been going to it which is wonderful because we gather understanding there's one God, there's one Lord, there's one faith. Let's celebrate the things that we agree on and not argue about the things that we perhaps don't. Amen? Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And most of us know that first part of that verse. But the next part says, Let your gentleness be known to all. Let your gentleness be known to all. And I use the illustration of, of a shock absorber on a car. That when it goes over a bump, that shock absorber, if it's working properly, will absorb all of those bumps and holes so that the ride for the people in the car is much smoother. Do you know, folk, that our gentleness in the spirit is a shock absorber that is meant to smooth out our relationships with one another. And Paul says, let that gentleness be evident to all. Do people see your gentleness? 
<laughs> do they see our gentleness? When you find yourself in a situation that has potential for conflict, is gentleness being displayed? Is it evident to all? I like this. It says, before you hold a grudge, hold a conversation. Could be the result of a misunderstanding. And I don't think there's anyone in this room where we deliberately go out to hurt someone. But sometimes we do offend people. Sometimes things happen where people do get hurt. And I don't think any of us ever do that intentionally. But sometimes it happens because of miscommunication. You know, we've said something in a clumsy way or whatever, or we've done something, you know, uh, with, with no sense of malice, but we just haven't thought through the way that we've done it. And people can get hurt. And, and it's, a, it's a tragic thing when people then hold unforgiveness against that person. And it just creates chaos. And the devil's always trying to push every button he can within the body of Christ, within the church, to bring division. We've got to guard against that. Let our gentleness be evident to all. Jesus did it. He allowed the shock absorber of the grace and the peace that he carried when he was hanging on a cross. Had those people who had nailed those nails into his hands and feet. And he looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them. These same ones that are crucifying me. He says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Like That's incredible grace. And it comes out of peace. Peace. With your family. <laughs> this is the one that sometimes is really hard. Peace with your family. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And uh, sometimes as we grow older, you know, families expand. And um, <clears throat> sometimes things can get a little bit gnarly. You know? We get stuck in our ways sometimes and uh, no one wants to budge. I remember reading a thing where a whole, whole bunch of people were brought together and, ser- and asked a number of questions. How would you describe other family members? And one person said, um, it's like a cactus. They're like a cactus in a silk shirt. <laughs> Another one said, they're like a, just a deaf, sticky post. Um, there are a whole range of, of comments made. Folk, you, you, some of the biggest difficulties we have are with in our family. But we're meant to demonstrate as a family, not just as a church family, but each individual family that's represented here, a kingdom culture. We're meant to represent the kingdom. Gentleness in our family is meant to be evident to all. We're meant to demonstrate the kingdom. And sometimes it's easier to get along with your friends than it is with your family. And it really shouldn't be that way. Um, so how do we handle things as a family? How do we keep peace central within our family? Um, is there an example we can see in scripture where Jesus brings peace to a painful family situation? And there is. And it's in Jesus' own family. Do you know Jesus had a family? He was part of a family. 
Um, he had brothers and sisters. Did you all know that? Jesus had brothers. He had four brothers. And we know he had at least two sisters. We don't know their names, but he had at least six siblings. Um, we read this in Mark chapter 6. And it's where Jesus uh, goes to the synagogue in his own hometown. And, um, and the reaction to him wasn't all that favourable. It says in, in Mark 6 and from verse 3, it says, um, I think I've got this. Here we go. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here amongst us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They were deeply offended with Jesus and they refused to believe in him. That's quite interesting that they list his brothers by name and his sisters. They were there. They were there in the synagogue with them. And it says they were deeply offended. His own family were deeply offended with Jesus. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. One minute they're astonished with his wisdom, the next minute they're deeply offended by him. Have you ever had that kind of experience? Um, you know, one minute your family is all proud of you and the next minute it's like, oh. <laughs> it's not always easy to live with that kind of thing. If, you, if we read the same story in the Gospel of Luke, because many of the stories you find in the Gospels, they're just repeated from one to the other. And um, in the Gospel of Luke, you find this, uh, a portion of scripture there that most of us know quite well, and it's in Luke chapter 4, and it's where Jesus takes the scroll of Isaiah, you know that story where he opens it up, and then he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Gee, what an arrogant thing to say. Who would say that? The next birthday party you have when there's family around, who would be game enough to stand up and say, hey guys, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. <coughs> Who would be game enough to say that? Not one of us. But you know, every one of you have the right to say that. <laughs> Jesus did. So he stands up and he says, No, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. For he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has, he has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the downtrodden will be freed from their oppressors, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, This scripture has come true today. This scripture has come true today before your very eyes. It says, all who were there spoke well of him 
and were amazed by the gracious words that fell from his lips. What was he saying? He was standing up in the midst of this crowd. All of them knew him. He's in his own hometown. It's not Jerusalem. This is his own hometown. His own family is there. His brothers and sisters are there. And he stands up and says, guys, uh, just in case you don't know yet, I'm the Messiah. That takes a bit of courage. Um, I'm the Messiah, guys. I'm the one that you've all been looking for. <laughs> you imagine all the emotions that go on in his family. All of the jealousy and everything else that happens straight away. If you read on a little bit further, it says, how can this be? How can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this this guy that we all know? If you read on a little bit further, it says, all the people in the synagogue were furious. Furious when they heard this. All the people who were there, his family, all the people were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which, he, on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What an ugly moment that his neighbours, that his friends and his family take him forcefully they walk out of the synagogue and they take him to the edge of a cliff to throw him over and kill him. How would you feel about your family if you were in that situation? Wow. I don't know how Jesus escaped. I don't know, I don't know if he became invisible. I don't know if he did one of those... You know, things where you just freeze time and everyone's stuck and then he walks around. I don't know, I don't know what happened, but somehow, miraculously, he's able to just walk right out of that situation. Um, but there's one thing that is really conspicuously missing. It says they plan to throw him off the cliff. Who? His neighbours? His friends, and who was there? His family. Now, I think we would like to be able to read this and, and okay, they were about to throw him off the cliff, but his family came to his rescue. His brothers ran up and grabbed him and saved him. We'd like to think that in the ideal situation of a perfect family, that's what we'd want to see but we can't say that because that's not what it says. It says they were there as part of the crowd wanting to kill him. That's, that's incredible. There's another time when they, when they weren't just invisible. They weren't just standing back and letting things happen. In Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus is doing miracles and then in Mark chapter 3, we see he appoints his disciples and then this happens. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said he's out of his mind. 
He's gone crazy. They think he's a lunatic. They're embarrassed. He's gone off the deep end, you know. He's, he's, he's just gone mad. The next verse says, the Pharisees accused him of being demonized and operating with demonic power of the devil himself. Now, his family's there. They say nothing in this defense. You know, there's every... Man, what an opportunity for Jesus to be offended. What an opportunity for him just to lose his peace. In John chapter 7, you see a similar thing where his brothers come and say, Hey, Jesus, look, if, you, if you're really doing all of these miracles, if you're really the one that you say you are, why don't you go to Jerusalem and prove it to everyone? Just do some stuff in public so that we can all see who, who you think you are. Prove it. They were being sarcastic. They were challenging him in a way that they never should have. Now, folk, I don't know, but, but they, that seems like hurtful words to me. We're going to get you out of this situation because you're crazy. We're going to go and lock you up somewhere. They were full of ridicule, full of sarcasm, full of unbelief and rejection. And remember this, Jesus was fully human. He had the same emotions as you and I do. Don't think that, well, Jesus could just shrug that off because he was the son of God. Now he was fully human. He had exactly the same feelings as you and I go through. He had every opportunity to feel rejection. He had every opportunity to get really hurt and angry because of what was going on and what was coming against him from his own family. How do you stay in a place of peace when you're challenged with that kind of thing? And especially when it comes from your own family. Well, Jesus did. Somehow he did. Here's a few things to note on how Jesus did it. Number one, he didn't try and control them. What do we want to do? We react immediately. We want to control the whole situation. We want to prove they're wrong and we're right. Jesus didn't do it. He didn't allow their behaviour to control him. He didn't back off. He didn't sulk when they insulted him. He didn't fight back. He didn't get angry with them. He didn't yell and scream at them. He didn't make it his mission to appease them or to, or to please them. Just let it go. Got on with what he was called to do. He had very real expectations. I think it's a natural thing for us to want our family members to be our best friends. And that's right in an ideal world. But it's interesting that Jesus didn't even have that expectation. They were his family. He loved them. And he wanted to care for them. But he wasn't going to allow them to dictate his life and his call, his mission on earth. It's interesting um, when Jesus was asked... In this same story, he's asked, 
he's told, Jesus, your, your family's outside. And you know what Jesus' response was? He says, my family, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, are those who do the will of God. He, 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 he was living for something bigger. He was living for a family that would be birthed in the earth called the church. I think our families should really be a priority, but they are not the priority. Amen? It doesn't mean we hate. See, people take that verse and they distort it. They say, well, Jesus hated his family. And if you don't hate your family, you know, and love God more, then you are failing. You're not a real Christian. That's a total distortion of those verses because Jesus really loved his family. But he loved them so much that he wasn't going to let them dictate how he was called to live because that wouldn't be true love. That would just be appeasing them and giving in. When his natural family didn't share his own convictions, he didn't abdicate God's call on his life. He didn't force them. And if Jesus didn't or couldn't force his own family to agree with him, what makes us think we can? I've seen people just get so messed up with this obsession to change their family, to change family members. And at the end, it doesn't happen because they're trying to force it upon people. Jesus never disowned his family, but he never allowed their reactions to control him. He honoured them, he loved them, um, and he was able to do it confidently because his sense of worth didn't come from them. It came from his father. You know, we can all uh, get caught up in that trap of trying to please our family. Um, but it's a very difficult thing to do sometimes. And you shouldn't get trapped into trying to do it all the time. I mean, you might have a sister or a brother um, who's always jealous of what you have. They always think, man, why do you get everything? Uh, why does everything come to you? Well, you could give that brother or sister everything and they may still not be satisfied. You might have a, a parent who is um, not approving of the career choice you've chosen, the job you have. Well, you could change your job a hundred times and they may still never be satisfied. They may not be happy with a partner that you've chosen. You could go through a hundred partners and they still may never be satisfied. Don't fall into the trap of trying to please them all the time. You know, we don't know if, if Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, ever approved of him. We don't find it in scripture at all. Did it worry Jesus? No, because he had approval from his heavenly father. Having our family's approval is desirable, but it's not necessary for happiness 
and it's not always possible. Don't let it bind you. Don't let it keep you ineffective in fulfilling what God's called you to do. What happened to Jesus' family in the end? What happened to his family? Well, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we read, uh, it says, there were 120 people gathered together in an upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. If you read that portion of Scripture, it says this. It says, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there and his brothers. Something happened. They went from, from unbelief, from ridicule, to, from re- rejecting Jesus into believing in who he was. Jesus never tried to force them. He never tried to change their mind. But something happened in their life. What happened? They watched someone whose grace and peace was evident to all. And it changed them. And we find that they were there on the day of Pentecost. And if you read through, uh, I think it's in the book of Galatians, you find out that one of Jesus' brothers became an apostle. Others were involved in spreading the gospel. Some travelled with Paul. Read about it in Corinthians. Something dramatic happened in their life. They changed Folk, God wants to bring peace and restoration into families. And I believe he will if we keep our cool. If we just let our gentleness be evident to all. We can see dramatic things happen in our families and in our extended families where we're not pressuring them. Amen? Who's got family members you want to see saved? I believe as our gentleness becomes evident, as we, as we stay faithful to what God's called us to, and we allow the peace of God to so fill us so that it overflows in every situation, you'll see change. Because I believe the Holy Spirit takes that and he uses that. And people can't resist that. I think, I think we'll be surprised. You, know, you might have spent years and years trying to force the gospel down someone's throat. And if we just step back and allow ourselves to be filled with the peace of God and allow that to overflow, well, I think we're going to see miraculous things happen amongst our families. Amen? So how do we handle those things? How do we, let me just give you a couple of things. Walk in love and compassion. Always. God loves us without conditions. How are we to love others? In the same way. Jesus says, um, turn the other cheek. That doesn't mean set yourself up for a whole lot of abuse. But it means allowing your gentleness to be the shock absorber that absorbs a lot of junk that comes towards you where you don't react but you can graciously respond. 
Amen? Just some practical things. Remember this, folk. We're not just mere human beings. Most of the time we just react and we live and we react out of our feelings, out of our emotions. You're a spirit being. First and foremost, you are a spirit being. You have been born again. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And Paul says a number of times we are to live by the Spirit. We are to walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. The more we can learn to live out of our spirit being, the more peace flows out of us because it's the Prince of Peace flowing out of our life. Amen? So it's not reaction. It's actually a godly response. And that's what Jesus did all the time. And I think that's the thing that, that changed his family. Pray for them. Pray for them. When they've offended you, when there's a whole lot of angst going on within your family, what do you do? Find a way to get revenge? <laughs> or do we pray? But I think the first thing we should do is pray. That we should pray the peace of God into a situation. We should pray the Holy Spirit would come and begin to speak into their life. Jesus said this, You shall love your neighbour. He says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those giving you a hard time. You know, when you pray for someone who's been giving you a hard time, especially when it's a family member, you know the first thing that starts to happen? Your heart starts to change towards them. And that's necessary. Because some of us, despite the fact that we're believers, despite the fact that we're born again, sometimes we can have a hard heart. Sometimes when all that hurt just starts to build up and we haven't dealt with it, we haven't forgiven people, we've allowed anger and bitterness to build up within us, it can harden our heart. But when you start to pray for those same people that have hurt you, something happens in your heart. It starts to get soft. God puts us in families for a purpose. And we're to influence and love our family members. Not forcing them, but influencing them by allowing the peace of God to flow through us. Amen? And then this love them as Christ loves you. Just love them in the same way that Jesus loves you. How, is, how does he love you and I? Totally unconditionally, unconditionally. I wanted to get to how do we have peace with our friends. That's an important one, I think, especially in the context of a church, but we've uh, run out of time. So maybe I won't do it again. Let me just give you these. Three reasons for friendship. If we don't understand this, if we think friends are just there to just give us everything we want, we'll mess them up. We'll mess those friendships up. 
Here's the three primary reasons for friendships. Companionship and love, encouragement and strength, mutual benefits to one another, and this, accountability and growth. And that's the one that we often shy away from. And it's, and it's, and it's when we get held accountable, we, get, we react. Who, are they? Who do they think they are? Talk to me like that. Tell me I've actually done something wrong. Who likes to be told this, you've done something wrong? Yeah, none, none of us do. Sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's necessary. We're, we're called to encourage one another every day. We're called to actually help keep one another accountable. That's not, that's not hey, um, Josh, uh, you broke this rule. It's not that. It's, not, it's, it's never done in a way where it's heavy-handed stuff. But it's done in a way where we want to see someone grow. And this is damaging to your life. And we're going to help you get through that. If we don't understand those primary reasons for friendship, we'll get selfish with it. Okay. So when you get offended in your friendships, what do you need to do? Forgive. Forgive. Forgive people in the way that God forgave you. Make every effort to restore those relationships and then surrender broken relationships to God. Do you know he can restore all things? Restore all things. That's what salvation is. It's a restoration of all things. I don't know about you, but I want to see all of my family in glory. Everyone. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to keep lifting them up before God. But I'm not going to pressure them in a way that drives them away from God. I want to love them and allow the peace, the Prince of Peace, to flow through my life to affect them. Amen? And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen. I've had uncles and aunties who have been so resistant to the gospel and yet just visit them, love them, you know, and I've had several on their deathbed just receive Jesus. Just turn. Just turn. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. How do we have lasting peace? <laughs> How can we have lasting peace within our families? We need it. Let our gentleness be evident to all. Amen? Let's walk in the Holy Spirit and allow the Prince of Peace, not just to fill us with peace for our benefit, but that it overflows onto others wherever we go. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we stand. Let's stand. to just grab each other's hands. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us incredible promise of eternal peace. 
that there's a day coming when you're just going to wrap up everything in this world. Time is going to change as we know it. And we'll, even though we have eternal life now, we're going to step into the reality of eternity with you. And we thank you for that incredible promise. But Lord, we, we also want to enjoy some of that now. We want to know what it is to look, be able to walk with that same eternal peace, with the reality of the Prince of Peace within us. And so, Lord, for every one of us in this room where there's been stuff that's been going on in our life, maybe this week, maybe the last month, maybe the last little while that has come and has robbed us of peace, whether it's inner peace within ourselves, whether it's peace within our workplace or within family, whatever it is, peace in, in difficult situations that have come uh, against us or we find ourselves walking through, we ask you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to come and just to settle amongst us. Wherever the devil has come and tried to get an inroad, tried to get into our thinking and into our thoughts, Lord, we just stand in you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And we allow your peace to overflow us. Peace I leave with you. It's a peace that the world can't give. It's a supernatural peace. So, Lord, we receive that this morning. We set our eyes upon you, the Prince of Peace. Set our eyes upon you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would continually look to you and trust in you, that no matter what comes against us, even though there's trouble in this world, we have confidence that we are more than overcomers because you overcame and we are in you. And truly, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so we declare to the person on our left and on our right the peace of heaven over them, over their family. Father, we pray right now for family members who don't yet know you. Lord, we see your hand coming upon them. Father, speaking into the depths of their very being. Holy Spirit, speaking life-giving words that causes their heart to shift and change. Father, where we have opportunity to speak to them again in the coming days or weeks or months, Father, let us not be afraid of just speaking the goodness of God, the true gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace, not in a harsh way, but, Father, in a way that is drawing them close to you and providing an opportunity for them to respond to your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that we walk out of this place covered in your peace, the Prince of Peace who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, who is always with us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys.